Uh, I hope you're surviving stage three of the social distancing rules. Um, I don't know if you felt restricted, but my initial response this week was to think about uh, all the things that I couldn't do. Um, but at the end of the week, I started thinking about all the things I could do, and I thought I would share my list with you, and uh, maybe later on as we interact, you can share your list with me. Um, so my list consists of, uh, first of all, going for a drive. Uh, I found leaving my house in my car gave me a sense of uh, freedom, and if anyone is interested in going for a drive this next week, let me know. We can do a hands-free phone call, you in your car, uh, me in my car, and we can do a drive and at least there's a sense of uh, freedom from the house, uh, a little bit at least. Uh, the second thing on my list was that uh, the majority of this week we've eaten um, most of our meals at home and um, we're just trying to be healthier and uh, just trying to uh, take different necessary precautions. But um, yeah, as the week went by, we decided, you know what, it'd be nice to actually get a meal from a restaurant that we miss. And so um, anyway, we thought it was Good to just order order out a, a couple nights, and uh, it felt really good to do a late night run to uh, Hungry Jack's. I think I had a conversation with a couple of you, and I think some of you are saying that you prefer the uh, the Rebel Whopper as opposed to the actual Whopper. And so um, I took you up on your advice, and um, yeah, it's it's actually really good. And so it was a good, it was a good late night snack. Um, I've also been using an app uh, that's come with our elliptical machine. And uh, this app basically takes you on runs and hikes around the world. Um, and basically, it changes the resistance of the machine um, to match the landscape. So as I'm watching the video, I'm following my trainer through different uh, routes, um, whether it's uh, going up the Swiss Alps or whether it's walking around Niagara Falls. And I got to tick a couple boxes off of the uh, bucket list. And so um, anyway, I found I found that was, in a weird way, a very freeing way of connecting with the outside world and also exploring um, places outside of my own home. Um, anyway, I'm interested in learning about your creative ways um, that you've been able to handle your um, your isolation. Uh, this week also felt like it was uh, filled with a bit of sad news, uh, whether it was news about the economy um, or whether it was the state of the world as people are suffering uh, through the pandemic, both in the developing and in developed and in the developed countries. Um, there were more COVID-19 related deaths in New York alone um, than there are confirmed cases of COVID-19 in all of Australia. And that statistic is just a bit mind blowing. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we live in a country that's implemented social distancing relatively early. And I think the good news is that the social distancing is working. I think I've got a slide here. If I can get this to work. Yep. Um, I've got a slide here. If you track the numbers of new confirmed cases from March 19 until now, that number is definitely decreasing. And uh, from the slide, it doesn't go all the way back to March 19, but you can see that we're we're actually um, we're, we're flattening the curve. Having said that, uh, that. Uh, having said that, the number of new cases are decreasing, but there still are new cases every single day. And so um, I think um, it's worth it to maintain our vigilance with, with our social distancing. Um, it's working, so let's just keep at it. Um, 
this week I had to take a bit of a social media and a news break just because it was just sort of getting to me all of the uh, all of the sad news and I was talking to Mervin yesterday and he referred me to this uh YouTube channel um called Some Good News and it's uh this this YouTube channel is uh was made by John Krasinski who is an actor from the famous sitcom The Office and he started a YouTube channel focusing on sharing Good news that's happened in the midst of this difficult time. And, uh, his video got over 10 million views. And, uh, if you've got some, uh, if you need a break from all the sad news, then I highly encourage you to watch some good news. It's a, it, it's a, it's a great video. Um, so that brings me to our sermon for today. Um, when we live in a time of difficulty, when the world around us is suffering, uh, how should we spiritually respond? Uh, I came across this article by N.T. Wright, and some of you may have also seen it um, posted on Facebook, but he outlines three different responses uh, to suffering, pain, and disappointment. And I kind of wanted to explore briefly each of those um, responses to pain, suffering, and disappointment from a biblical perspective and give some examples from scripture as well. And, um, yeah, as we go through this, I invite you to kind of ask yourself the question, which response do I find myself naturally going to? And as we explore each of these responses, um, I'm curious to see if, if, uh, there are any shifts in thinking that happen as a result, um, of exploring some Bible texts. So the first response is the romantic response. Um, the, the Christian response to disappointment being a romantic response. And the, the romantic response wants relief from the problem. Uh, the romantic is solution centered and this response is a, uh, this response is definitely a Christian response because if you look throughout scripture, uh, there are examples of oppressed people calling out to God in times of need, and he delivers his people. Um, the whole book of Judges and large portions of the Old Testament are dedicated to these stories. And so um, just by way of inter- introducing, I guess, the book of Judges, I just want to look at a few passages or one passage in the book of Judges and then look at a few other passages in the Old Testament. The text goes, and when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. Another example is found in Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And finally, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so we see here that there are a few examples uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of God actually responding to the cries of his people, and God provides a solution. He provides an immediate solution. He provides uh, deliverance and freedom from um, the difficult circumstance. So that's a response, or that's the romantic response, and that's that's what the romantic looks for. Um, here's another Christian response to disappointment, and that's the rational response. Now, the rational, the rationalist wants a reason. In other, in other words, everything must have an explanation. Uh, why is there pain and suffering? Uh, is this a punishment? Uh, is this a warning? Is this a sign? Um, 
And there are lots of stories in the Bible where God intervenes in history and um, in some way he intervenes as a result of something else. Uh, he, he, he responds as a result of something. So for example, in Deuteronomy, um, God promises that he would intervene based on the morality of his people. So there are, there's a chapter in Deuteronomy, it's Deuteronomy chapter 28, and it's based off of blessings and curses. And here's how the passage goes. Uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And verse 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so the whole of chapter 28 in Deuteronomy, God outlines things that will happen as a result of good or bad behavior. In other words, God responds to the actions of people. Uh, there's another uh, rational response, or there's another theory of the rationalists, and that is the theory of God's purpose. And that basically states that um, God acts in respond to his will. Um, and so Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is a really well-known verse, says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so God then responds um, to his will. And finally, um, there's the the rational response or the rational explanation is um, the reason of prophecy. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 24, and we looked at the signs of the times. And so the events of the world around us can be explained through the context of prophecy. So there's a third and final Christian response uh, that I want to spend time on today, at least, and that's the biblical tradition of lament. And uh, the first thing that I want to highlight is that um, significant portions of Scripture is dedicated to uh, the literary style of lament. Uh, over one third of the Psalms, so that's about fifty Psalms, are written in the uh, are, are written as laments. And lament frequently occurs in the book of Job. We find Job asking the question, why did I not perish at birth, come forth from the womb, and expire? There's a whole book called Lamentations, and that expresses the confusion and suffering felt after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. So what is lament? Um, Lament is about feeling grief. It's about feeling a sense of disappointment. And so here are just a few examples uh, throughout the book of Psalm. Um, in Psalm chapter 6, uh, the author writes, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am languishing. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are shaking with terror. Psalm 10, Why do you stand far off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And finally, Psalm 22, uh, which Jesus himself quotes while he's on the cross. Um, the, uh, Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in, in these poems, the author often comes out into the light by the end with a fresh sense of God's presence and hope, and the author finds assurance or reassurance in the midst of their distress. Um, 
Mark Virgop uh, says, laments turn toward God when sorrow tempts us to run from him. So lament isn't necessarily despair. Uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, um, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. And so the difference between lament and despair is that in despair, we give up on a relationship with God, and genuine heartfelt communication ceases. Lament suggests that it's right to express our uncensored feelings before God, uh, because that's how real relationships work. Uh, we actually tell people that we are in relationships with how we feel, even if there are negative emotions or negative feelings. So almost all of the lament psalms end on a sudden turn to praise, with the exception of two psalms, and that's Psalm 88 and Psalm 89. Uh, these two psalms are considered by scholars as the darkest parts of the book of Psalms. Uh, both are prayers for help, and in both cases there is no resolution. Now these two chapters exist because the reality is that not all of our prayers for help will be answered. There are times where we call out to God for help and there's silence, uh, there's nothing but silence in, re in return or silence as a response. And there's just, there's no explanation. T.S. Eliot came to this conclusion in the early 1940s. Uh, his advice was wait without hope. Wait without hope. Um, why would we wait without hope? And his answer is, sometimes we're hoping for the wrong thing. Rebecca Eklund outlines a structure to lament psalms in her book, Lord, Teach Us How to Grieve. And there's a lot of text here, but um, I'll just try and summarize uh, most of these points. So first, the psalmist invokes the relationship between the lamenter and God. Uh, second, uh, there's a complaint or a problem, uh, usually accusing God. So there are times where the author will just kind of unload and be really upset with God in their current circumstance. Third, the lament uh, sometimes combines protest with repentance. And then fourth, the central part of the lament is the petition to God to intervene. And it it expects God to respond to suffering and injustice, and oftentimes there's an affirmation of his character. Fifth, there's sometimes an, uh, an imprecation or curse against the enemies who have caused the, uh, caused the writer pain. And finally, the lament also, uh, excuse me, finally the lament almost always presses towards praise as the ultimate end. So Michael Gunin makes the observation that because there's an apparent structure for lament psalms, that it's possible to praise too soon. Uh, the psalmist takes the time to let all the pain and anger out before the praise can set in. And so for believers in tough circumstances, the journey from anguished questioning to confidence and resilience needs to be undertaken and not short-circuited. So lamenting calls us not to deny honest pain or jump too quickly from loss to acceptance, but rather to go through the lamenting process. So why should we lament? Um, Dan Allender makes the observation that the religious norm or cheerful piety and reverence that has led many to assume that if you trust God, then expressing frustration doubt, or disappointment is unnecessary. Uh, 
But contrary to the norm, he says modern Christianity is losing the spiritual discipline of lamenting in moments of difficulty. And that's really where the um, this, this sermon title comes from. So learning to lament has incredible value. It's a part of discipleship. It's a part of our worship. Um, it's a part of our humanity. So the first thing that I want to talk about is lament as an emotional resource. Lament as an emotional resource. Uh, Reverend Ali Dory states that the practice of lament serves as an emotional resource that helps the oppressed wait on the Lord for justice that may never come in their own lifetime. So if you reflect upon slavery, there are lots of um, Negro spirituals that come from that period. And these songs of sorrow gave the oppressed an avenue to proclaim to each other and their oppressors that God is responsible for deliverance and justice. And those songs gave hope where there would be no hope at all. Secondly, lament um, is useful as a means of identifying with the suffering of others. So lament teaches us to identify um, not with just our own pain, but the pain of um, the pain of those around us. It heightens recognition of the conditions that produce suffering, and this can help overcome divisions as understanding deepens. Thirdly, there's a corporate lament as a means of bringing injustice closer to view. And corporate lament, or when the church publicly expresses lament, brings injustice, uh, I guess, I'll, I guess repeating myself, it brings injustice closer to view. And this is needed to energize, nurture, and nourish um, individuals and communities to see their own history in the light of God's heart for justice. So Brueggemann says that it is possible for the church to be encultured, uh, enculturated into the idolatrous systems of pleasure and entertainment while d- uh, which domesticates its radical vocation of prophecy or ability to proclaim truth. And so there's a secular example of this principle taking place right now in the U.S. Um, there are groups of doctors who are vocalizing their discontent uh, and frustration at how hospitals are being managed. Um, so medical workers who are unwell are seeking to be tested for COVID-19, but the admin of their hospitals basically are not allowing them to be tested because there aren't enough resources available. Uh, Also, there aren't enough uh, N95 rated masks available, so employees are given one mask to use per day. And basically what this means is that healthcare workers don't have the protection that they need as they treat patients. So there are Tons of posts on social media. There are videos that are starting to get released uh, by medical professionals who are calling for change. And basically what they're communicating is there is a huge significant flaw in the, in the way that the medical systems are being managed. And, and this crisis is bringing to light this injustice. And so things are definitely going to change. And the doctors are basically making this commitment we're not going to allow the healthcare system to stay the same after this point in time in history. Uh, so something that's a bit more relevant to our context, uh, here in Australia, we're about to face a recession. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens as the public responds to fiscal policy over the next however many years. And uh, these difficult circumstances take away our comfort and bring to light the wrongs that we've previously accepted. And we then have an opportunity to right those wrongs. 
So the moment we ignore the voices of frustration and remove lament, then social practices reinforced, moral norms never change, and these norms in the secular world then inform what we believe in the church. And so the church then becomes this place where we embrace explanations of suffering and marginalization to those that suffer uh, when we in the church are in positions of privilege. So corporate lament causes us to become other-centered. It allows us to look more broadly at the suffering of others. So there are two caveats for practicing lament, and Andrew Williams states that, one, lament needs to be shaped by biblical reality understood from God's character and biblical conceptions of justice. Otherwise, there's a danger of lament being an excuse to give voice to our own biases in politics. And I think it's very easy to be at the place where we believe that our lament is the right lament and um, the things that we care about, everyone else should care about. And so I think that first caveat is quite important that we consider uh, what does scripture actually say? What is on God's heart that as a corporate body of uh, believers that we then see this is what's on God's heart? Here's the second caveat. Uh, there's a danger of proof-texting psalms of lament to name particular enemies. The psalms describe the enemy in vague terms, suggesting perhaps the need to avoid becoming too specific in our identification of the enemies. The psalms are purposefully vague in reference to historical events so that they can be used in a variety of situations. And I think it becomes very easy to point fingers and be like, I know who the real enemy is here. And I was going to crack a joke and name somebody, but by doing that, I would then be naming an enemy. And so anyway, you can fill in the gap in terms of how this principle could be used uh, inappropriately. So um, this week, as we face the challenges around us, as we face um, yeah, just the, the, the difficulties of others. People are going to be losing their jobs. Um, on the news, the, the German finance minister committed suicide because of how bleak the, uh, economic situation looked, uh, looked like in, in Germany. Like, there's just so many things that are going to happen around us. And I encourage you during this time of difficult, uh, difficulty to practice lament. Spend time with God and vent your frustrations. Um, if we don't do this, we deny truth uh, when we ignore the bad, if we only celebrate the good. Um, our faith becomes irrelevant as we are not able to identify with suffering. So may you find space in your life and in this church to honestly cry out to a good, powerful God, even through profound pain. And may you find healing from the numbness of that, uh, the numbness that that, brain, that that pain brings. May God bless you. Would you join me for prayer as we transition from our time of sharing to our, our Zoom um, gathering? Father God, we, we come before you, and as we lay our hearts out before you, as we share our pain, our frustration, our disappointments, um, we pray that you would cause us to see that you are touched by our frustrations. May we be in touch with your frustrations as uh, we are not the only ones that suffer, but you suffer also. And so I just want to ask that um, as we go through challenging times together as a church, may we be here to support one another. May we be that prophetic voice um, that that is able to create change moving forward. We pray this in your name. Amen.